Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. This morning, uh, we are starting a new little teaching series. Now, this, uh, some of you will know that there is something coming up very soon called Christmas, uh, which is going to get right in the middle of this teaching series. So we're going to start it now, and we will finish it some point in January. Uh, But uh, we're calling it seven. It's just the visiting the I am statements of Jesus. So these are the things that Jesus says about himself. A lot has been written about Jesus, and a lot has been said about Jesus. Um, But these are the things that Jesus declares about himself. Uh, And you will find these in the book of John. So for those who don't know, in the book of John, there are these seven statements. Um, uh, The book of John is a fascinating book. If you want to know more about the structure of the book and all the, the things that get packed in, I would encourage you to go head to YouTube, look up the Bible Project Um, They do like a two-part overview of what's going on. But it helps make way more sense of the book itself. But the seven statements that Jesus makes about himself are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate or the door, depending on your translation, for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Now, when Jesus says, I am, and whatever he says, you know, I am the bread of life. Uh, this is much more than just like a casual, oh, by the way, I'm a little bit like the bread of life. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Um, so as we launch into this series, just a little bit of background on that, that little tiny phrase that seems quite innocuous to us, that I am thing. That is a really, really loaded phrase. Uh, Dick and I were in school, uh, not this last week, the week before, we managed to get um, we did these kind of half-hour workshops with all of year 10, basically unpacking what is the Christian worldview. And one of the questions that came up in one of the sessions was, is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? Now, a whole lot of us would go, we, we, we know the Sunday school answer, yes, Jesus is God. But the more interesting part of that question is, well, where does Jesus say he is God? Where does he come out and go, you know what, guys, I am God? He He doesn't. Not in those terms. And actually, I think this, what we're going to go over the next few weeks, is the closest thing we get to that. Um, Now, so, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, how many of you have heard, you know the story of the burning bush? Hands up if you, yeah. If you've been in Sunday school growing up, you've grown up as a Christian, you've definitely come across the burning bush, right? Um, Now, in that whole story that's unfolding, uh, the Lord is sending Moses out to Egypt, out of Egypt, sorry. And Moses kind of has these these slight concerns, like he's going to go and stand before probably the most powerful person on the planet at that time. And his question to the Lord is, well, is like, well, who should I say sent me? Because this, that guy that I'm going to is the most powerful guy on the planet. So who should I say sent me? And this is what the Lord says. God said to Moses, this is Exodus 3 verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's that phrase again, I am. Now, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is doing something here to his Hebrew listeners. He is pointing back to this. For want of a better, this is as close as we get to Jesus going, you know what? I I am that God. I have come from him. I am that God. So I said there were seven. We're going to tackle the one that comes up first in the book of John today, and that is, I am the bread of life. And what I'm going to say this morning, um, I had to cut back what I was going to say because you were all in for like a two and a half hour talk. So I've cut it down to an hour and a half. Is that all right? No, I've cut it down. I don't know how, 20 minutes maybe. There is a lot more that I could have said. Um, And if you want to know more, I can point you in the directions of some, some books, some teaching, stuff like that. But we're going to read a whole chunk of John 6 in a minute. So we're going to read John 6 from verse 25. But just for context of this passage, because I could have read all of John 6, and it would have taken us a long time, um, but to give context. But I'll, I'll cut it short, because many of us, not all of us, but a whole bunch of us will know this stuff already. So Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which is, is possibly actually fifteen or 20,000 people. Okay, Because in Jewish culture, they tended to count the men and not everybody else. Um, And he did that with five loaves and two fish. And they weren't even his. He nicked them off a young boy. Uh, I think they were giving up, to be honest. honest. Um, So he has just done this this amazing thing. And at the end of it, they collect up 12 baskets full of leftover bread, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And then he... He goes across a lake, and when I say go across a lake, I mean that small detail that he walks across a lake to the other side of it. And people follow him around. And this is what they say. This is picking up from verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, so for on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work, the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe it? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give Always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none 
of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the, at the last day. Now, there's a lot in that passage, and we will come back to it. But first, I want to ask you a personal question. Have you ever tried a weird diet plan? I know that was the question you were expecting. Have you ever tried a weird diet plan? Now, I, I used to work for a guy that sold juice diets for a living, and he made a lot of money doing it. Um, and those things help people lose weight. I'm not, you, know, you can drink fruit juice if you want. It's good for you. It's probably, anyway, I'll move on. Some of the weirder things I found, though, there are some strange ones. Some were too weird for me to even include here. Um, but here are some that I found that were kind of in the middle. One was, and some of you may have come across this one, uh, this was the, the baby food diet. Has anyone come across this? Yeah, so uh, the baby food diet requires you to eat 14 jars of baby food a day, but one actual adult meal at night to make it all better. No one has claimed ownership of this, uh, surprisingly. Uh, and I assume you can try the different flavors. I don't know how this works with the baby food diet. The next one I found was the lemonade diet. Has anyone come across this one, the lemonade diet? No. So this was created by somebody called Stanley Burroughs in the 1950s. Uh, and all you could have for the entire day, uh, you could start the day with a glass of salt water, which sounds delightful, first thing in the morning. And then over the course of the day, you could drink somewhere between six and ten uh, glasses of lemonade. But not like off-the-shelf lemonade, like you have to make it yourself. There's cayenne pepper in it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and then the best part is at night, to help you out further, you can have a laxative before you go to sleep. I mean, it sounds a delight. I mean, why, why aren't we all doing that one? I, my favorite part of that, though, was eventually uh, the man who created it, Stanley Burroughs, uh, was convicted of practicing without a medical license, which would be a surprise to us all, no doubt. Uh, and then the last one I found was, th and this was made famous by Elvis, so the internet is to be believed, uh, the Sleeping Beauty Diet. Has anyone come across this one? So this is genius. All you have to do to not eat as much is find a doctor who will sedate you for several hours a day. I mean, it's the easiest one, I think. Um, so, the sleeping beauty diet. Who would have thought? that? Now, to say, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is not proposing some weird diet plan. Actually, he is calling back to nothing new at all. He's calling back to some really old motifs in the scriptures. And Jesus calls out the guys that have come to find him because they've come to him because they want a free lunch. I said, you fed us once, well, let, feed us again. And Jesus' response, uh, to paraphrase, is stop worrying about your stomach and start worrying about the things that will last. And it, in all that he says, he's referencing a whole bunch of stuff back in the scriptures. So many of you will know the story of um, the, the Israelites fleeing Egypt, fleeing slavery. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the story in the Bible itself, films like The Prince of Egypt are a reasonable retelling of them. Okay? And now, when they fled Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, the sea parted it. It's amazing stuff, right? Uh, 
But they then walk around in the desert in a circle for 40 years. And unsurprisingly, there is not a lot to eat in the desert. And not only is there not a lot to eat for a few people, well, there is about two million of them. There is not a lot of people, not a lot of people to eat, hopefully not. There is not a lot of, there is not a lot of food to eat, particularly for two million people in the desert. And so the Lord provides bread from heaven called manna and quail. And this is what Jesus is referencing through all of this. So when Jesus talks about bread from heaven, this is what the people had put to him. That back in the desert, God provided bread from heaven. And Jesus is saying, well, that is what I am. But better. Because what was provided in the desert perished. What was provided in the desert kept them going for a while, but they needed more. And what Jesus is saying is, I have come as bread from heaven, and I will not spoil, and I will not leave you dissatisfied. Now, the theologians get grumpy who have stood around Jesus at this point. So verse 47 through to 51 says, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life, for I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that come, came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the, for the life of the world. Jesus is pulling no punches. He's not saying what happened in the desert was bad, but what he is saying is that wasn't enough to, to rescue them and save them, not by itself. That food didn't keep them alive forever. They still died. And then he goes on, and some of this becomes familiar to us, right? You know, when he, when he says, this bread is my flesh, this is a bit familiar to us because he gave us a meal to remember all this by. But to the people that were hearing this, they were probably horrified at what they were hearing. And Jesus called to them, is, stop focusing and worrying on the things that are good for us now. And think upon the things that are eternal. But let's be honest, the temptations of life are very, very real. The struggles of life are very real. The things that distract us are very real and very good at distracting us. And to say, I was listening to a conversation with someone recently, and they said this, that when you look at things, particularly social media, they are the people that do this the best, that they, they hire people out of the world's leading universities to come and distract you more and more and more. So the idea that we can just use these things and them not affect us and all that stuff is, is not a reality. So for me to stand here and say, oh, Jesus is the bread of life, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, it'd be easy. It's not easy. And Jesus' expectation wasn't that it was easy. But what he did do was he gave us this literal meal to help us remember. And we've talked about this a little bit. So some of us might call it the Lord's Supper or communion. Um, it is bread and wine. 
Now, the way we hear it in our, our modern Western Christian culture is it's to remember his death on the cross. And it is that. But it is to remember everything that comes with that. From the creation of everything by his father to the eventual future hope that we have that he will come and make everything right. When we take this meal, it is to remember that we have hope. N.T. Wright says, this meal is designed by the Father, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, to bring a taste of things to come, fresh grapes from the land of promise for those at present wandering in the dusty desert. So Jesus says he is the bread of life, but he does this fascinating thing. He leaves us this really tangible thing. In some traditions, people take it every day to remind them, to try and help them with the temptation and the struggle and all the stuff. But not just to remind us in a way that is to keep us downbeat and feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling guilty and all that stuff. But to remember that we have a future hope. And some of us in the room, we're really good at beating ourselves up. So I'm a bit like this. I'm the, what's the word? I judge myself by my performance, which is a disaster because I know myself too well, right? But I heard a talk this week. And look, I don't know fully theologically how I sit with this. But he said, He was praying to God, and as he was praying or trying to pray, he was distracted by all the things he'd done wrong. And so he kept bringing them up and apologizing for them. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for this and that and the other and the thing that I did. A lot of the stuff he'd already kind of brought to the Lord. And as he was praying, the Lord just tapped him on the shoulder and said, would you stop reminding me of things I've forgotten? So for some of us, we need to just shake up how we take communion. Communion is not just about a Savior dying on a cross. It is about that. But it is about the whole story that ends with him coming back victorious, right? Um, now, this meal and everything that he gave was not given cheaply. It cost Jesus everything, right? And we look at our own temptations and our struggles. Um, and we go, that's all right for you, Jesus, because you're the son of God. But Jesus faced temptation. And interestingly, bread was involved in that as well. So this is Matthew 4, verse 1 through to 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Is that a surprise to anybody? 40 days and 40 nights. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we need food to survive, for sure. One of the, <laughs> one of the weirder diet fads I came across was uh, something called the breatharians. Who the, th- the, th- the thesis of their belief was, everything we eat is a toxin, so we should live on breath. Now, you will be, not many people survived this diet, which is perhaps not a surprise. Right? Um, but there is a reality. Oh, we need food to live. We, you know, all this, there's lots of things we need now for the good life that Jesus promises us. But we can become so focused on those things and all the things that Jesus should give us because we deserve them. When actually he's calling us to follow him and fix our eyes upon him and he will provide everything that we need along the way. But this idea of thinking about the, 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 you know, for want of a better phrase, the next life, the new creation, 
and forsaking at times the now is foolishness to the world around us. The world says totally the opposite. Um, but Scripture says this itself. So 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is Paul. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Note the contrast. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. And I wish those people could see it and get it and recognize it as the power of God. But this is the temptation of our age. So uh, I know there's some, some young people in the room. You are going through school. You probably have it a little bit worse than the rest of us because there's people around you with all sorts of views all the time. Some of it is coming from your teachers, no doubt, all of it. right? But this idea, just write Jesus off as a myth. When actually Jesus is the very thing we need to endure all things. Now, there are pressures from, for all of us from all around. You know, friends and family, mates at school, YouTube. YouTube was full of trash. Can I just say that? There's good stuff. There is a lot of garbage. Um, don't believe everything you hear from every pastor on YouTube. Don't believe everything you hear from me either. Take it back to the Word of God. So I have, this isn't a rule. So I have an expectation that in 10 years, I will disagree with some of the things I've said this morning. Now, I don't have a quota of things I'm saying that I will disagree with later. Um, but I will. So go back, you know, take things to Scripture. And look, all those friends, those voices, even family, you know, can they will promise you lots and they'll promise to be with you forever. Um, but that's not always true. Friendships change, relationships change. Uh, those people you follow on YouTube will suddenly disappear when it no longer serves them. All that stuff is all happening around us. But not Jesus. Actually, Jesus has already given everything that we need. Actually, he doesn't owe us anything. And he needs nothing from us, but he gave it to us anyway. I came across a quote that just talks about that, the, the struggle that we have with the world. It's this. This is a guy called Walter Brueggemann. Um, it says this, The world of advertising, of ideology, of euphemism, offers us endless phoniness that coerces and manipulates and invites into a virtual world that has no staying power. You cannot count on such a world, as it will turn on you and cost you dearly. And yet, out beyond that fickle world, there is the world of God's reliable fidelity, a God who makes and keeps promises, and you can dwell there. You can dwell there. Doesn't that just sound good? So I'll just often go off on a tangent for a minute. Where there is, we don't put pressure on ourselves to accumulate more stuff, to earn more money, to keep up with that trend or this trend or watch that TV program or do that TikTok dance or whatever people do on TikTok. I don't really know anymore. Um, we just took away all of that pressure to keep up, to push aside the expectations of, that other people are putting on us that Jesus does not require of us. And just dwell there in his presence. Doesn't that sound better to anybody else? And he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies to feast in the face of trial and threat and difficulty and struggle. And he calls us to a future feast. This whole thing of bread uh, and feasting upon him is throughout the scriptures. In the new creation, the depiction in the new creation in Revelation 22 is of we can eat the fruit of the trees and it comes once a month and it never runs out and we don't have to toil and work the ground for it in the same way. And look, if you're wrestling with the, 
the pressure to abandon Jesus for something else. Or just to resist him in some ways, or not take his best, not follow him for that abundant life that he promises. Just bring, remember, he is the bread of life. He is dependable. Everything else that gets offered to you will fade away. Everything. And actually, eating of the bread of life is remarkably simple. In verse 29, when he's asked, well, how do we, how do we get this bread? He answers, uh, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. Now, when we talk about, oh, you just need to believe in a church context. If you've been a- around the church a while, you go, well, this is day one stuff, right? But belief isn't just something that we think. So the, 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 one of the challenges of our kind of modern, postmodern age is knowledge is power, right? Knowledge can save us. I talk about this a lot, you know. The way we think can change. Now, the way we think is important, right? But the way we think all by itself cannot save us. It's not just about our minds and our brain power. It's about our hearts and our hands and our feet and our wallets and our loves and our time. Everything. Does all of this stuff actually tell us that we believe that Jesus is the bread of life? And look, I say, I don't stand here saying this is the, oh, look, how wonderful I am. I've got it all together. No, that's not true at all. I stand here going, man, this is kind of difficult. Because it requires decisions every day. And repenting every day. So to close, just some questions. Of all the things that we hold dear that maybe encourage us away from Jesus, can we identify what is enticing us towards bread for today rather than bread that lasts forever? Where might we need to swap out Netflix even for 10 minutes of the Word of God? Where might we, so if you're like me, If you don't put things in your diary, they do not happen. So where do you need to block out time in your diary to pray? Where do we need to stop the doom scroll? So if you don't know what doom scrolling is, that's when you're on Facebook or Instagram and you just keep scrolling. And you're thinking to yourself, this is really dull and I don't want to keep scrolling. But those clever, clever people that got recruited have figured out that dopamine keeps you there, so you keep scrolling. Sorry, I sound like a maniac when I said that. This is this is scientific stuff, right? Um, but where might we need to cut out some of that scrolling and instead just sit in silence to hear the voice of Jesus? Just to cut out the endless noise of the world, just for a minute. And look, if you feel overwhelmed by the idea of following Jesus. Here's what I would say. To believe and follow Jesus doesn't require you to have all the answers or even to know where Jesus ends up. The thing to do is just take one step forward. He calls us to follow him, not to run ahead of him. Just follow him. What is he asking of you today? 
and for some particularly young people in the room, okay, maybe there's pressure from school to conform, to stop following Jesus or to compromise yourself in some way, you know, um, sexually, emotionally, physically, self you know, there's all sorts of stuff out there. And you guys as teenagers, having been a teenager once a long time ago, you are in the most volatile stage of life, okay? Just to say that, okay? And that's not to put you down. That's just to say it gets better, okay? Um where all those things are pressing against you, where do you just need to stand firm and go, you know what, I have the bread of life. All the other stuff might satisfy for a while, but I have the bread of life. He has done it all. He's done it all. There's nothing we need to add. He's done it all. So, should we stand and we'll pray? Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.